Welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson, uh, Rondell underscore SC on Twitter, uh, and I am joined by Chase McCarthy. How are you doing? I'm doing good, John. Yeah. What's uh, what is your Twitter handle? Um, I don't. I don't. I'm not on Twitter. You're not on Twitter. Yeah. No. No. My, right, what's your What's your uh, What's your um, MySpace uh, MySpace My name? Uh, My MySpace name is at code zero one zero zero fun. Nice, nice. Um, okay, so yeah, together we represent uh, Ember Weekend along with some guests and interview people that we uh, occasionally do, uh, and we talk about newsy things and stuff. So welcome, and hopefully we'll uh, show you something about uh, Ember today that uh, you may not have known about. Probably not. Probably not. And we're broadcasting out of Hash Rocket uh, over at the beach in Jacksonville. So. No, it's a nice day out too. Like it is a nice day out. It's like uh, kind of slightly overcast. It's Saturday and sunny outside at the beach. Yeah, a little overcast, which is actually little... better than full sun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. No, man, come on. You gotta, you gotta. I mean, that's why it's called Ember Weekend. We gotta do it on the weekend. <laughs> um. All right. So, without uh, further ado, let's uh, get started. So the first thing we're going to talk about is a Medium post by John Picciarella about writing better tests in Ember. Yeah. So this test or this blog post rather was was really really good. Um, it's a great synopsis of some of the better uh, testing practices that I've I've personally come to kind of really enjoy. Definitely talks about like page objects and some of the abstractions there, and then some of the like I don't know. The, at the very beginning, he kind of like does a TLDR and like here are the really important comp uh, components to a test. And one is that they're easy to reason about. Uh, they are very granular. Um, this is something that Gary Bernhardt, uh, who who just started uh, Destroy All Software again. Did you see that, Chase? No, I didn't see that. I'll have to yeah, check it out. So, yeah, just started back up. Um, anyways, he used to call this uh, like the, a binary test, where a binary test suite rather. So if one thing goes wrong, you know, your tests just all start failing. Uh, and that's a binary test suite. And you don't want that. You want it to be very granular and test only one thing such that when a test breaks, uh, you only see one little red F uh, so that you know kind of generally where things are broken. And they have to be fast because um, not only does it save you uh, productivity as far as like how much time you're wasting, uh, it also encourages you to write more tests when the faster. So a developer might just not write a test if it takes 10 minutes to run their test suite. I've seen that before and it's, it's a, you know, it's a tempting thing. You're just like, oh, I just added this one thing. Uh, I don't want to, or maybe not even that you're not writing tests, but you don't run the full test suite. You only run, you know, isolated tests. And that's just as bad in some, in some cases. So, um, so those are the things. And I really, I really dug the, the TLDR at the very beginning. Yeah. And uh, just to expand a little bit more on the verbose part, this is kind of, I think my favorite part, uh, because he talks about um, name your tests one, like very specifically. Um, so the example he gives is like login versus user can successfully log in, um, which doesn't sound like it's a big change. Um, you know, you might think that you want to see this terstal, you know, uh, title of the thing, but it actually helps so much when you see a failing test and you immediately uh, know how to fix it just by even looking at, uh, you know, the title of the test, um, or especially when you get a ton of tests and they're all kind of named similarly. Don't be afraid to put more, you know, a little bit of description in that test. Um, and then the second thing that was really important to me, especially with Ember because of QUnit, is putting the description, which is optional, uh, in your certs. Because when you do that, instead of getting like, I think it just says OK or something, like a bunch of OKs and then a bunch of like crazy errors. If you put the description, it will like tell you what all tests pass and then like the exact test that failed. Um, so it's, it looks much nicer. If you, if you start doing that, you will do it forever because it, it makes everything so much easier to read. 
Yeah, I find myself. Uh, this is this is one of my my definitely things that I need to work on. Uh, very frequently, I'll write a test and I'll just sketch it out really quickly. And uh, sometimes when I'm like, I know what the feature I want, I'll do two things, and they're in direct violation of these two very good testing tenets. And it's one is I'll just put in ellipses for the testing uh, <laughs> description line because I'm like, I'll I'll figure that out later because naming is hard. And then for the asserts, I just don't write the assert description. And uh, and every single time. Uh, that has come back to bite me. Like, I, I don't think I've ever committed, uh, well, maybe, oh, I don't think I've any, ever committed uh, the ellipses, but I've definitely committed without adding the descriptor. So it's a really, really good habit to have. And I always appreciate, especially library code, when it has like, um, you know, A should be true and it wasn't, you know, expected this error and I got this other error. Um, whenever I see those uh, those assertion descriptions, it's just like wow, that's such a such a nice little tiny thing that helps so much. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things that you have to do it when you write the test the first time because I went back and um, came onto an Ember project and I added a bunch, and one it was really hard to decipher um, after the fact what some of the things were doing, uh, which meant that if you had had to do that while you're writing it, the test would probably be better anyway because you're like, wait, I'm asserting on a lot of different conditions here, you know. Yeah, it definitely makes you like step back and think about it. Absolutely. Uh, so, and then and then he goes on to talk about the uh, page object uh, pattern, uh, which is something we've talked about on the show a few times. And he goes through um, two different libraries, uh, and one of which is the one that uh, I think we prefer, and I think he prefers as well, which is Ember CLI page object. Uh, and there's one thing that we wanted to note. Um, so page objects are good. Uh, we can probably link to another episode where we talk a little bit more in depth about page objects. Um, but one of the things that um, that he mentions here is instead of defining on IDs or class selectors, because designers will tend to change those or they may become less apparent or they might change. He, he, he describes them as volatile. Um, instead of using those, he uses something, uh, an, an attribute, a data attribute called data-test. Uh, and that presents some interesting problems. Yeah, the um, like some people have this kind of approach of like, I don't like having to add a bunch of test-specific things to like, the HTML, um, which is weird as if you're you're kind of expecting that your users are all like inspecting the page and like criticizing you for your HTML. Um, but but it is a, it's a valid argument. Uh, but there are actually, uh, we've heard this in a couple different talks, um, there are people that do this. Uh, I think Yahoo is one of them. Um, and uh, the way that they were kind of like sanitizing their code after the fact was they had a thing that would go through and clean up the, the test attributes um, in the like kind of processing stage. Yeah, so like some sort of like HTML bars walker or something. I, I think it, I think it was probably built with regular expressions or something. But um, I mean, any XML, it doesn't really have to be. You could do it after the fact. You could even do it after the HTML has been generated, and then just use an XML parser. That way, you don't right. have to worry about the HTML bars kind of syntax. Yeah, and I'm just thinking like that. That would be really helpful for. I mean, honestly, even reducing file size. I know it's probably very negligible. Maybe like I don't know, like at max, even in a big test suite, probably a couple of kilobytes max. But even that it could could matter, um, and it definitely makes it easier to to see uh, outside of your test environment if you don't have to look at all the test uh, the, the these extra unnecessary ad attributes. Right. But uh, you definitely do end up having a more stable test suite because a designer sees data dash test and they're like, oh well, I'm not going to change that because that's not you know that's not my domain. Um, whereas I think that in a class or ID, uh, you know, changing that is totally within. A, a different scope. Yeah, and, and another thing that kind of would help, and I know it would, it would help in our situation with our designers, um, sometimes designers move things around because they they, they need to, to to restyle things, but they had they had alternate choices that they could have done 
but instead they do the thing that you were switching off of in your test. Um, so if they knew that you, that there's a test handle around this thing, um, they might be less likely to mess with it or at least come and ask you or, you know, somehow make a smaller change that doesn't require the thing that you're selecting off of to change. Yeah. It could definitely like help, uh, help with the communication there. Absolutely. Um, and then the last thing he talks about is, uh, Mirage and there's some really cool, uh, things that he talks about with, uh, with regard to scenarios, uh, in, in a specific test that needs a different type of setup. Uh, than your standard uh, setup, uh, you can override uh, a server get. Although I still have um, some questions around this because I'm not sure how this gets torn down uh, in between test suites. So I'm wondering if this is polluting uh, things order dependent, uh, order dependent things. But I'm not 100% certain. So that's something that I'd like to reach out to Sam and talk about. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that um, there's like um, not WebMock. What's the one that they use for? Uh for Ember before, before there was Pretender, somebody, there was another one they were using. Oh, like a uh, mock mock or mock jacks. Yeah. One of them. HTTP. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of those. Things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think with those ones, I think you can, it, it kind of works the same way as Pretender. You can mock it and then tear it down. Um, mm. so I, yeah, I would, I would imagine that's probably pretty standard. I mean, to an extent, yeah, well, it's, re it's recommended by the Mirage docs and he's, he mentions that in the, in the post, but I still like just knowing a little bit about the un underneath, I, I wonder if that could cause some problems, um, with Pretender getting, uh, getting something overridden because, uh, I think I ran into this problem where I wanted to stub out one request and then I wanted the second, any, any subsequent requests to blow up or to, to do the default behavior. Um, and I, I couldn't handle that. I yeah, think. I could, I could see how, yeah. Cause when you define it, he's doing like a server dot get thing just inside of a test block. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's no context of when that test is done. Um, other than maybe, um, those ones are torn down at the end of every test at the end of every test. Yeah. That's but. probably what's going on. I don't know. Once again, this is something that I'll have to learn a little bit more about. And then, uh, and then maybe we'll mention it on a future show. Yeah. Maybe we'll know what we're talking about at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, fingers crossed. Um, anyways. Yeah. So definitely check this blog post out. Uh, it's, it's really, uh, it's really good. And it's also kind of a quick read. I want to say like maybe five or 10 minutes. Um, and, and then you could start putting some of these uh, things into practice, uh, pretty quickly. All right, so the next thing we want to mention is uh, Ember one-way controls hit uh, 1.0 release, which is really cool. I really, really like uh, Ember one-way controls. It's uh, an add-on by Dockyard, and it allows you to do uh, inputs as uh, data downs actions up. Yeah, I really like this. I hope that this becomes the the way in Ember. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's convenient to have two-way inputs, but sometimes it feels really gross because you're like trying to do the DAO on everything, and then it's you know, this is the one, the one thing that messes with you is inputs. Yeah. It's, it's, everything's the DAO except for inputs, which are now. <laughs> yeah. I like right. that. I like that. I like that way of yeah. putting it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, it's really great, uh, uh add on, um, we were going to talk about it uh, more at some point in the future. Um, but for now, just know that it's out in one release, uh, which means that you can start using it, uh, with, with a lot more, uh, uh, confidence confidence that's the word thank you um a lot more confidence uh so uh so definitely check that out uh it's it's highly recommended i think it's super great it's so explicit and nice so check it out and something we want to mention really quick is that uh ember redux uh the add-on we've talked about a couple times in the past by torn billups uh now works on ember twiddle so uh the major person involved in this was dustin ferris um and uh, torin sent a shout out to him on twitter and that's how we found out about it um so that was pretty cool um, can't wait to start messing around with this. I haven't had an application that I could plug this into easily. Um, that wasn't an existing application. Um, so it's really nice to just be able to go into twiddle 
and kind of just mess around with Redux because I've been doing a lot more React lately. Um, so it's nice to see how that stuff kind of translates over into Emberland. Yeah, I'm really excited to see some demos come out of this as well, just to see more use cases for it. Um, so that, you know, when I need to do something uh, this way, it might be a little bit more uh, something that I have a little bit more reference around. Um, all of this is actually, you know, really thanks to like Ember Twiddle getting support for most add-ons. Like uh, yeah. it's very easy now. I shouldn't say it's very easy. I, re I remember when uh, Twiddle first uh, came out and we were having this conversation about when will they have add-on support? And then somebody, I can't remember who was, came back to us and was like, well, you know, that's probably not going to be something that happens. And then sure enough, now it's just like, oh yeah, all those add-ons you like, they're all, you can just play around with them in Twiddle. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's great. And I'm sure add-on authors really like it for bug reports too. So um, all in all, I think it's a it's a great tool. And uh, the Ember Redux stuff looks uh, really neat. Once again, I'm really excited to see some examples come out uh, with it. Uh, very, I'm tracking along with the progress of it because it does seem very interesting. Yeah, I, I want to see some like undo, redo kind of stuff with this. I don't know how I would do it. I've seen it with other examples of like Elm and um, just other languages now. And I'd like to see how Ember Redux handles something like that like right. managing that, those commands and then replaying them or undoing them. Yeah, very, yeah, it'd be very cool to see for sure. Yeah. So, uh, so anyways, check it out. We're going to post a link to the demo that Torin posted. All right. So thanks for listening to another Ember weekend. Um, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Is it already over? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. This week uh, was kind of a shorter episode, but uh, next week we are going to be, uh, absent. Uh, it was shorter this week because we are prepping for, a training that we're going to be doing uh, next Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so if uh, if you're interested in that, I believe we have remote seats still available, so you can probably still sign up. And uh, I'm really excited about that, but it's going to cut into our uh, our our Ember weekending for one week, uh, and then we will return uh, with episode 70 the following week. Right, and that's in that's in Raleigh, North Carolina, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is uh, the second gym comp I think we're gonna have attended there. Yeah, yeah. I think I, the first one was technically called like Gym Live or something, Global Meetup Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This time, this time it's the it's the Ember Show, and then uh, and then our training. The, the yeah. Following um, but yeah. Anyways, uh, once again, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Jonathan Jackson, uh, Rondell underscore SC. Uh, you can follow us uh, at uh, Ember Weekend, all one word, on Twitter, uh, and that's a really great great place to reach out to us. And I'm joined, of course, by uh, Chase. Yeah, I'm Chase McCarthy, code 0100FUN. Uh, you can get me on Twitter, GitHub, MySpace, whatever. My, yeah, definitely add them on MySpace. I'm sure I'm sure it's still uh, all current and you've got your favorites and stuff all lined up. Um, if you want to, uh, to track along with this, uh, you can always add our feed. Um, it's at emberweekend.com slash feed.xml. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks. See you then.